Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Larry Kay, and I'll be the host for our presentation this morning. Today is Sunday, September 4th, 2022. Let me give you the share ID numbers for Friday, September 2nd, for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That number is 19,361. That's 19361. And for the 10 a.m. meeting on Friday, that number is 19,362. That's 19362. This morning, A Vision for You presents Inside Each One of Us, The Fundamental Idea of God. So the, the, the big book reminds us that, <clears throat> that if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome alcoholism or, in our case, compulsive overeating, well, many of us would have recovered long ago. But see, that wasn't adequate to overcome this, this devastating disease. The, the needed power just wasn't there. In fact, <clears throat> we're reminded that the human resources, our human resources, as marshaled by our will, were not sufficient. In fact, they failed utterly. But, but how are we going to tap into this power, particularly when the idea of God is either foreign to us when we arrive here, or, or maybe it's even distasteful to us based on our past, our childhood. You know, is the human mind big enough to answer the questions of origin and, or destiny? You know, can, can we embrace the mystery of God acknowledging the limits of human knowledge? One of the definitions of worship is ardent, ardent devotion or adoration. And, you know, when we were eating, the only thing that we seemed to worship was what made us feel good, right? And, and, if, and if work uh, perhaps was rewarding and that made us feel good, well, that's what we were devoted to. And if something in, in family life were, uh, was uh, rewarding and made us feel good, that was what we were devoted to. That is what we worshipped. And finally, the only thing that made us feel good was eating, and we became totally devoted to it, and we worshipped its effects. The fundamental idea of a higher power is obscured by the, the worship of other things in our mind. And, and how is it then that we can move from worshipping these other things to the idea of a higher power anyway? And, and is it possible that this can happen naturally, that, that it could come about through the working and the practicing of the 12 steps, the 12 traditions. Can that happen organically? Well, joining us this morning to share her experience, strength, and hope, um, you know, regarding finding a power greater than herself is Elena C. from South Carolina. And Elena is, de is a dedicated member of Overeaters Anonymous, and she's committed to carrying the message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater and practicing these principles in all her affairs. <clears throat> so it's with great pleasure. Please join me in welcoming Elena C. this morning to the line. Elena? Good morning, Larry. What a beautiful introduction that, you know, it kind of ties in with what I'm going to say. Um, my name is Elena C. Uh, from South Carolina, originally from Romania. Um, and I'm a gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. I am so grateful that Leah has asked me to speak this morning. And um, I would like to tell you a little bit about my background history, because I believe my story is both unique and the same. 
and why is the same because you know I identify with many many of you um, in my compulsive overeat eating behaviors and also in other areas of my life but I also have a unique component right and that is well not too many people were born in Romania, not too many people were born in Transylvania, not, not too many, never body that I know of in this line was born in my hometown. And, and, and so that's where I started my life. In that small town in the mountains of Transylvania, it has not been revealed to me if I'm a vampire, I'm not. <laughs> so um, anyway, but um, it was a small town and it was full of beautiful energy, you know, uh, people, we were close to each other. We would go to somebody's house and say, with no appointment and just knock at the people's door and they say, come on in, have a coffee. You know, I love that. And I describe my childhood, um, as great, you know, just, <clears throat> just lovely. I had a very good foundation, was very attached to my mother who nursed me for um, until I was a year and a half and um, was extremely, extremely loving to me and um, to others around her and my dad. Actually, both my parents were teachers and both became school principals and they um, valued for themselves education and that was transmitted to me through them and you know, just, just the community that I was surrounded with. Um, so that was important in my family. And um, so I, um, as a young child, I, I kind of, of course, made my parents my higher power. Um, as a, And then I had a sister who was 10 years older. And, um, you know, in my middle school years and adolescent years, I just worshipped her. She was my higher power. Um, so I remember from a very young age, I was very friendly, extroverted child. So what happened though, is my father had a, was drinking heavily and I had no idea that a disease. And, um, and so it's not for me today to label him as an alcoholic yet. I, when I read literature from Al-Anon, the other program I'm into, and this program, you know, um, it, he described his behaviors, his, his drinking, described the definition of an alcoholic. So I'm an adult child of an alcoholic, but both my children were adult children of alcoholics. So alcoholism is in both my sides of the family, <clears throat> almost like a legacy burden. Well, it is a legacy burden. So... Um, so I was, so I was, they were my higher power. And then there were moments of um, just, you know, uh, loneliness, loneliness, because my mom uh, became very preoccupied with his drinking. And um, my sister had a, 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 had a health condition and she was running fever almost every day. My mom was preoccupied with that. And I was a young, independent spirit free-spirited child, and I, and, you know, they value that in me, and then I learned that that's, whoo, that's, that's great, that's what I need to be, you know, and um, so um, what I remember, uh, what's important in, to understand for me, and, and for you, 
uh, to understand that, um, you know, my connection with mother was very much over my, her baking my favorite chocolate cake and chocolate fudge. And um, that, that was one of the most powerful connections that I remember with my mother. Um, and I remember that I was eating with her chocolate and she would just take a lot of pride that I liked while she was baking. Um, so the older, um, the t- as, as the time passes, my father's disease became progressive and, you know, things got, got pretty, not, not that, not that good. Um, and, uh, you know, when I was 16, my sister, my beloved sister, one of my gods passed away, um, it was very sudden, a disease of the liver killed her. And, um, that's when my family and I, we just, um, it, it, we kind of fell apart because nobody talked about what happened, right? Nobody um, showed anybody else of us inside of themselves. I was probably, I was frozen. I was absolutely paralyzed in my grief. You know, I would go to school and I remember saying to myself, oh, you know, I'm going to go home and she's still going to be there. And I was in so much denial. That's how I coped. So interestingly, um, well, not interestingly, um, understandably, my father's, uh, you know, alcoholism became worse and worse and worse and worse. And, um, and, you know, I felt more lonely and more lonely and more lonely. And not only that, but he Stop to understand me as an adolescent. I mean, nobody understood each other. I mean, we were all hiding. So uh, what I remember, the, my first episode of compulsive overeating was when my father and I visited my sister's uh, husband after she passed. And he gave me a box of chocolate. And in a, a matter of minutes, I ate all of it. I ate all of it. And uh, she made, they made fun of me. And here's the thing. I ate my grief. I ate my grief, right? So, um, so I then um, don't remember what, that I was binging a lot or purging or being anorexic, but I do remember I was a very skinny girl and I was bullied for that. And I, 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 think I suffered from anxiety and depression after that, of course, not a severe form, but a mild form of anxiety and depression. And uh, I just didn't have appetite. So I was born into a small body. Both my mom and dad were born into a small body. And um, I was, uh, I had a small body and, you know, I was bullied because, uh, you know, people were like, Ooh, look at the girl who has no boobs, whatever. So I, I felt very bad about that. And, and, you know, I remember feeling ashamed of my body. Um, so I, off I go to, well, what I want to say is that what the way I coped uh, with, because there was an overwhelming sense of abandonment and, and not belonging when I was growing up in this scenario that I was talking to you about. Um, and, um, you know, the way I cope is to think of myself as a smart girl because I had straight A's, right? And that I'm going to go to school. So that was all me. 
if you were to ask me, hi, how are you, Elena, who you are, I was like, well, I'm, I'm 13 and I have straight A's and I'm going to go to college. And that's, that's all I knew about myself. I had no idea about myself. But mind you, I can tell you so many things about those around me. So here I go to college and, um, you know, with fear, with still carrying that fear of abandonment um, and what am I going to do in this world? Who am I and, and whatever. And I, I, I went through college and I, I did very well in college. Um, I worked very, very hard. And I met my first husband who, again, uh, you know, meets the description of an alcoholic and surprise, surprise, leaving him from an alcoholic home and going, um, you know, marrying an alcoholic. And um, I had my drinking bout with, with him um, and in college because that's how I could have friends. And then he, you know, he at one point he said, well, you know what, I don't think we're ready to marry each other. I, I don't want to get married. And, and I didn't want to hear that. I didn't want to hear that. No, no, no. I said, hold your horses. You're not going anywhere. You're staying. And so, you know, I didn't have a relationship with that man. I took him hostage. So, but I just, he was my higher power. He really was. So um, in my early 20s, you know, I don't remember, um, I do not remember uh, my eating very much, but I would go bananas um, eventually on chocolates, chocolates, cakes, whatever. Then in my 30s, my disease, my disease became progressive. And, and that's when I, the food became one of my higher powers, really. Um, so um, I want to get go, go back a little bit and talk about the religion when, where I grew up was fundamentalist Eastern Orthodox. And, um, you know, I just felt it was shoved down my throat. I did not relate to what people were talking about. I saw people that they were, you know, learning one thing from church and then doing something different. I resented what that I resented it and I rebelled against it when I was at LS I refused to go to church and they couldn't make me and um, then the idea of sin you know I was like all right so don't lie don't cheat don't do this don't yell to parents you know because then you're gonna go to hell and I was like whoa every day almost I was doing that and uh, you know God also was my fear I was afraid of how God was for me at that time, um, you know, um, together with all people around me, uh, was the man with the beard that was looking at me with his pointing his finger at me and telling me this is not, you know, judging me uh, for who I was, for what I was doing. But as a child understanding, you know, what you do is who you are. And so if you eat, I mean, if you cheat or lie you're going to hell then then you're bad so I had a very low sense of self-worth so fast forward um the uh, in terms of my compulsive overeating and I'm not going to dwell on it because this isn't what's important what's important today is that I have God and in when before I had God in this program 
You know, I went through diet after diet after diet. I never was heavy. I never was heavy more than 20 or 25 pounds. Um, yet, you know, I developed a, a, like I had in my adolescent years, a very poor body image. And, um, and whenever I would gain some weight, you know, I'm just looking at my body. I'm like, this is, uh, 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 uh. I was seeing, no, this is, I don't want this body. I don't like this body. I hate this body. So I started to diet. Now, mind you, I went through Sari Beer's diet, through Rockwell's diet, through whatever. I went to the Weight Watchers. I became a, a lifetime member of Weight Watchers. And, but you know what I did? Weight Watchers, they were telling me, here's how you should eat. And you know how I was, what I was doing? I was going to the subway, getting a foot-long sandwich, eating it very fast, you know, get some ice cream, eating in that, and then not eating for until 3 o'clock the other day, right? And then I would go to the people, they would weigh me every time I would go, and I would lose in weight. One or two months, they were like, yay, whatever. They didn't even tell me how you, why I was doing that. So, um, so that's the history well, that's one of the things that's important um, about what I was doing in my disease of compulsive overeating. Another thing was that, um, you know, I was invited at different parties and, um, you know, I always like got the cake and, and I would volunteer, I'm going to bring the cake, I'm going to bring the cake. And so there were also birthday parties of children and I would I brought the cake that I liked. I always did. And um, so I would bring the cake. And, of course, uh, you know, I was I served the cake almost every time. I was the server of the cake. And then I gave people a piece of cake. And then I made sure that I was hiding to eat the rest of it. I mean, I kid you not. Like in three, you know, in three, on three bites, I would eat, I would eat a piece of cake. And um, and at one point, these people hid the cake from me. They put it and said, you know, Elena, that's enough. I'm going to put the, not Elena, but, you know, they did say, wow, you ate a lot, whatever. And so they put it, they hid the cake from me because they wanted their children to have the cake the other day. So, and then um, while I, after I graduated from um, my master's degree in Chicago, I was an organization where I was eating their food from the fridge. Um, I was so not, I didn't have a food plan. I would forget to eat. And then, oops, I'm hungry, you know, and I would sneak and, you know, open up their fridge and take their, their food. And I was almost caught, but I didn't get caught. And that was so wrong, right, when I look back now. Um, okay, so... Let me see, um, because I'm, I time myself. So I want to make sure that I, um, I don't go over. But I am now in Chicago, and I am divorced from my first husband. Um, one therapist um, helped me with that. And um, I am by myself. And, you know, I, I ate over loneliness, and I ate over fear of abandonment. And I shoved my, my feelings on the inside. 
I had no idea. I was like, I'm controlling my fears. Now, how am I going to control my fears? How am I going to control my fears? But I, but that's all I knew. And um, so um, I married my second husband. And mind you, um, he was not an alcoholic, but um, he had an other addiction uh, because and I married something that was familiar, the emotional neglect that I grew up in on an environment of pervasive alcoholism has, was very familiar to me, has made me choose partners in my life that could, you know, their interaction towards me, with me, was the same because I was familiar with it. And, what, and if it were an emotional neglect at that time, what was I going to do in that relationship? I didn't know who I was. Again, okay, everybody knew that I was smart and I had good grades, right? And I read a lot. I, I loved to read. And then, but you know what? They didn't care about that. That's all I wanted. And, and then if there was an emotional neglect, they're going to find out about something that I was hiding on the inside, which was my low self-worth. You know, the way I did myself up, my body, whom I didn't like. And so good connection was not safe for me. So I would rather stay in an emotionally neglectful relationship. But the thing is, because I'm, I was an extrovert, right, um, I suffered because of that, because I craved connection. Now, my little girl inside of me would even get her knees met when, you know, at that time was craving still connection. Had a God who was afraid of and then people who couldn't give what she needed. And she forever looked outside of herself to feel good. And here's the thing. That was a high for me. There was a high just like when I ate a piece of cake or several pieces of cake. You know, when somebody validate me on the inside, when they will look at me with their eyes, their loving eyes, I was in a high. I was in a high. And but just like addiction, you know, it was only for several minutes high. So, and then I needed more because I didn't have God. I didn't have God at that time. So, um, let me see. Um, I, at the, in the year 2000, the beginning of the year 2000, I found a psychologist I went to in despair about my emotional um, state of being. And she said to me, well, it sounds like you need to go to Elanon. And I'm not, I'm not going to dwell on it because that belongs to story. Elanon's story belongs to the other program. But I was like, well, okay, great, woman. Now you're telling me there's something else. What else is wrong about me? I, I resisted that. And, you know, she would give me, um, she would give me, uh, you know, like a list with meetings in the area, and I did not listen to her. And I went on my um, on the internet, and I found meetings that I wanted. And then I went to a meeting that didn't even exist. So anyway, 
I surrender finally to that, to my despair, my emotional despair now. Again, the food was just not as prevalent at that time. And I finally went to that program where I um, started to understand the loving nature, the compassionate nature of my higher power. Uh, but that higher power did not help with my compulsive overeating. And um, it's within this program, uh, within the Al-Anon program, that I, I found somebody who actually was Dr. Silkworth for me. And because she explained to me the allergy of the body, and she said, listen, I think you should listen to a vision for you meeting. She was already in the OA, and if she's here on the line, hi. Um, but she said, um, this is what you might want to do. And, and I, I listened to my first special edition of the Vision for You meeting. That was the first time I got acquainted with this program. And um, then after she sent me to that meeting, you know, I um, – called her up and I said, listen, I'm going to go to this party. I have a cake and I want to, to just have a piece. And then she goes, well, call me back after that. Let me know how that's going for you. So sure enough, I binged on that. And then I went to my regular OA meetings here. They're very much um, in the Greenville area. Um, our our um, based on the working on the big books and the teaching of the big books. And that was great. And, you know, when, when I was um, at that time, I don't think I hit a bottom in my compulsive overeating. I mean, I was hopeless in my compulsive overeating. I had a mental block in my compulsive overeating, right? I had a knowledge of the body, but I didn't hit a bottom. And so I don't, that, that's just my unique story. But what stood out for me was how people in those rooms and in a vision for you, they they kind of knew what I was, where I was, and I heard my story of addiction in their story, and I also heard experience, strength, and hope, and I liked that. So I called somebody and I went to coffee with with that person. Hi, if she's if she's here in the line, I know she is. Um, but she said, um, she showed me her pictures of how she was before and how the slogan helped her. And that, she was my Abby. She really was. And so I'm very grateful for her. And that's how I decided to stay. That was my surrender point. So, um, okay, so I want to then... Just go to the big book, and um, I want to say that I, the big book is the bi- my Bible. I don't know of any other book that has been that has been describing a healthy notion and experience of spirituality. I don't know any other book. I mean, they might be, but I don't use any other book today. I, big book is all that I have. Is all that matters to me today because in this big book I found everything that I need to do, know, or say about higher power, a healthy spirituality. So 
I'm going to speak a little bit about 164 pages. So yesterday when I prepared, it was so healing, so healing. Again, I learned so much. And um, so in doctor's opinion, the first chapter, <clears throat> so, okay, so I believe that the first person to <clears throat> take his step, uh, his first step was actually Dr. Silkworth. Why? Because he surrenders all his medical knowledge and experience through, I don't know what to do about this alcoholics. I have no idea. But instead, he comes out with another thought that there is an allergy of the body. And once you put a substance in it, you're screwed. In your body, you're screwed. You can't stop. The willpower does not work. So at page so he is the one in the big book that speaks about God. At page XXVII, he says the last, the second last paragraph, the cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire aspect of practice motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring. They believe in themselves. Wow. And still more in the power which puts chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death because my addiction is deadly, progressive and deadly. And, you know, and I it guaranteed he knew the community spirit is, was amazing, right? The treatment of addiction today is not just getting abstinence is connection. So the, the other part, XXIX, what he says, that unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. In entire psychic change, I had to learn it's a change in personality. And what in part personality is, is how I define myself and how I, I need the world. What, what do I do in the world, right? So the way I view the world, entire psychic change means, of course, developing a relationship my, with my higher power, but more so to stay in the world with this higher power, totally a different person. And in order to have that, he said, I only have to, three, I have to follow a few simple rules. Simple, not complicated, simple. All right, fast forward, page, build story, page eight. Um, the, second, the second paragraph. He now is stopped drinking, and he's, he's in the hospital, and I think that he starts to... Um, question he's a Gnosticism, and he says he, he thinks about the future, or he kind of understands, and he knows where he's going to go, and he says, I will seem to be catapulted into what I like to call the four dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Now, those are values, happiness, peace, and usefulness. I come to say the values from my higher power. Um, and he says at page 10, I 
simply, again, simply have to believe in the spirit of the universe with no neither time nor limitation. But that was as far as I had done, period. He hadn't met Abby yet. So here he goes, meets Abby. Abby visits him. And uh, he was like, whoa, what the hell happened to you, right? You're not the one I was drinking with. So at page 11, but he was intrigued. And he made a point black declaration. So Abby, he sees Abby that making the point black declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will has failed. That's what he sees in him. And he starts his 12-step journey. And I want to speak about it briefly. I believe his first step is when um, he believes that Abby believes that this relationship that he can develop with this higher power, and that Abby developed this higher power, has made healthy stop drinking. Okay, and then he questions, he questions religion because he's like, well, he, Abby tells him, I have religion. He goes, oh, crap, come on, stop it. I don't believe in that. What, what, what God is for me? And, uh, yes, you know, it says, I could go for con- such con- conceptions as creating those in the universal mind, the spirit of nature. It was more of your spirituality about it. But I resisted the thought of a star of, of heaven, the old idea of God. However loving his way might be, I have to instruct the scores of men who have felt the same way. And then, you know, Abby looks at him and says, oh, you know what? Why don't you choose your own conception of God? Step two. And followed by, I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. Wow, how profound. Nothing more. Page 13, he goes quickly through the stuff. There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood God to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend with capital S. Take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. That was the, the end of step seven. Now, step eight and nine. My schoolmate visited me, and I fully acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. He made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals admitting my wrongs. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability, and I never was I to be critical of them. It doesn't matter what the other person does. It doesn't matter today. All it matters that I look at myself. What harm have I done towards them? And, you know, and admit it to myself and get honest 
perceive my reality, my behaviors, my actions towards the world just the way they were. I wish to write all such matters to the honest of my ability. <clears throat> That's say eight and nine. The following paragraph, I wish to test my thinking by the God consciousness within. Wow. I was like, within? You know, before the program, I, I always looked like, like I, you heard from my story, so we're the outside. God was in outside. And, and then now here it comes through and says, God is within. Common sense does become uncommon sense. I was to sit quietly when in doubt, quietly when in doubt, asking only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have me. This is meditation, quietly and in doubt. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my request for my usefulness to others. You know how I used to pray before the 12-step program? God, please give me a name. God, please me pass this exam. God, please make my husband do what I want him to do so then I can be happy. You know, that was not right and not real. That was wrong and dishonest because... It's not true, but I persisted in that illusion that somebody else or something outside of myself can make me happy for a few minutes. Then only might I expect to receive, but that would be in great measure, Bill says. Then my friend promised when these things were done, this is step 11, would enter upon a new relationship with my creator. That I would have the elements of a way of living which answers all of my problems, belief <clears throat> in the power of God, blocking up willingness, honesty, and humility, again, gifts and values in this relationship with a higher power, willingness, willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things. I must turn in all things to the Father of life. This is his conception of God. This is his experience of God. Father of life, right? Who presides over us all. <clears throat> and here is an, uh, his spiritual experience on page 14. There was a sense of victory, followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. Again, a value, the, the value of confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountain blew through and through. God comes to most men gradually, but his impact on me was sudden and profound. Okay? So <clears throat> then interesting, it you know, God sends me the has sent him the twelfth step again at page fourteen, last two paragraphs. While I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what had been so freely given me. Perhaps I could help some of them, then in turn my work with others. My friend had emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating this principle in all my affairs. Part particularly was it impurity to work with others, but he had worked with me. Faith. Without works was dead, he said. For if an alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life to work and self-sacrifice for others, 
He could not survive the certain trials and most thoughts ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again. And if he drank lots, he would surely die. So and he starts working with others, and he says, I'm talking to a man there. I would be amazing to lift it up and set on my feet. All right, Paige, um, there is a solution. Let me see how much time I have. Okay, there is a solution, page uh, 17. is the first paragraph that stood out for me. We of Alcoholic Anonymous know thousands of men and women who are one just as hopeless as Bill. Nearly all have recovered. They have solved, solved the drink problem. Oh, my God. And my sponsor... Um, told me yesterday that that was in 1939 and um, there were not too many alcoholics but they had solved the drug problem okay so let me go to page 19 at the last um, the last paragraph most of us sense their real tolerance of other people's shortcomings and viewpoints and every for their opinions, our attitude, which make us more useful to others, is what I need to do in the world. I need to show up with respect and kindness and acceptance in order to be useful to them. And that, I can only achieve that in, you know, in conscious contact with my higher power. All right. Um, okay. Now I go to page 26, and the beautiful history of Roland. So Roland goes to Dr. Jung. <clears throat> Dr. Jung, in my, what I know is um, it worked with Sigmund Freud um, from Austria, and uh, Jung was in Switzerland, but he didn't like, he reached a point in his working with Freud where he didn't like anymore what Freud was saying, and he, and he split from Freud, and he kind of developed the Jungian analysis, and, you know, that's what he used with Roland. <clears throat> he also posited in psychoanalysis the notion that spirituality is healing. So he goes, Roland goes to him, and he feels that he's healed, and, you know, sure enough, he was drunk in a short time. And then he goes to the doctor. He begs the doctor to tell him the whole truth. And then the doctor tells him, you have the mind of a chronic alcoholic. I have never seen one single case recover. Where that state of mind exists to that extent, that it does in you. And then uh, Rome is, oh, my goodness. He feels like the gates of hell have closed on him. And then he goes, is there no exception? And he says, oh, there is, here and there. Once in a while, alcoholics have had what I call vital spiritual experiences. So, so here he is, Jung, uh, using spirituality to help people heal. Okay. Um, I fast forward as we have nothing, a beautiful chapter. And what stood for me the, the most in this chapter was the idea that um, in every single religion, there's something that we can take. Because I was 
growth by religion. I didn't like religion, just like I feel I was an agnostic. And, you know, when my sister passed, what I had was like a crisis, a conflict would get. And I said, God, why did I make that happen? You know, you are so bad. You took my sister away. I was 16. That, 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 that's not acceptable, God. I, I was serious with that. And my first sponsor in Illinois said that, you know, um, okay. And I kept on saying, I don't have God. I don't have God. And then I said, I'm so mad with God. Look what happened. He took my sister away. And then he, she said, well, it sounds like you have a relationship with God since you're mad at God. And I was like, oh, my God, he's right. Okay, and um, page 46 and the second paragraph, he found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, so I prejudice against all religions in this world, including my own that I was growing up in. But all you have to do is express it in a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, a willingness. We command, and, and the willingness means to want. Just, just, I just need to want, maybe a little bit. So as soon as I express that, we command to get results. And even if it's impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend the power which is God, I don't have to understand what God is. I don't have to say, well, hey, are you a person? Are you an energy? Are you, what the heck are you? I just have to be willing to do my part in this beautiful relationship with somebody within myself. By now, it's within myself and around myself. That is my idea of God. That is my conception of God. An energy, an entity within and around that I can take with me wherever I go, that I can need to do some, I need to do action. I need to take steps and do my part and turn towards, and when I turn towards, he will run to me. And then the same page 46 says, much to our relief is discovered. We do not need to consider another's conception of God, our own conception, however inadequate, is sufficient to make the process effect a contact with him. We found that God does not make too hard terms to those who seek him, to us. The realm of spirit is broad, roomy, all-inclusive, never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly speak. It's open, we believe, to all, all men. And then at page 49, what they say is we who have traveled this dubious fact beg you to lay aside prejudice, even against organized religion, we have learned that whatever the human frailties of various faiths may be, those faiths have given purpose and direction to millions. People of faith have a logical idea of what life is all about. And uh, the same paragraph um, right on the page. Many spiritual-minded persons of all races, scholars, and creeds were demonstrating a degree of stability, happiness, and usefulness, which we should have thought ourselves so the religious people that found their happiness through religion. What was that? Who was I to kind of like have a prejudice against that? Page 55 in the agnostic, 
So it, here is a paragraph that is one of the most uh, beautiful paragraphs I, I have written in this big book. Actually, we were fooling ourselves. Oh, how foolish I was. Because why? Deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Oh, my God. It may be obscured by calamity, by calm, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it's there for faith in a power greater than ourselves and a miraculous demonstrations of that power in human life are facts as old as man himself. What does that mean to me? What that means to me is that we are all good. I was all good. People I come into contact have God, but for some reason, they didn't choose God or they didn't understand God or they didn't, they didn't know. They don't have a community to get in touch with God. But I need to understand that. And the way I connect with them through my higher power, listen, listen, not be preoccupied and make my point. My other something that Elanon said, that is how you connect with their higher power. And I can't say in the way, for goodness sake, what did I do with my alcoholic father? You know, I, what I did was I was in the way because at, at one point I was just so pissed off with him. And when he went to the psych, his psychiatrist to prescribe medication, I called the psychiatrist and I said, did my dad tell you that he's, he's drinking? The psychiatrist said, no, he didn't. And then I said, well, guess what? He's drinking. And, and you know, and you should know that. I was in the way. And, I, and, and that was wrong because when I'm in the way, someone's journey, including my trustees, I deprive them of their relationship with their higher power. Why? Because at page 114, from to white, it says, the power of God goes deep. I would I have a little bit left, but I want to just read briefly. Page 133. We're sure God wants us to be happy, joyous, and free. We cannot subscribe to the belief that this life is a veil of tears, though it once was just that for many of us, recovery. The same page. We who have recovered from serious drinking or compulsive overeating are miracles of mental health. And I can assure you today that, you know, having had depression and anxiety, my God has healed with his loving spirit my mental health, my child within, my child within who had burned the burdens of the past, who have, has been impacted by the condition of alcohol in Savada, the condition of adulthood and of alcoholism, right? So um, the last page 164 perfect time in Elena so it says <clears throat> people have discovered the joy of helping others to face life again there will be no stopping until everyone in that town has had his opportunity to recover so 
and God will determine that so you must remember that your real reliance is always upon him. He will show you how to create a fellowship you crave. I can create my fellowship I crave. I can choose to connect with you and hear God from you. And I want to um, end with a beautiful sentence from page 164, the last sentence. May God bless you and keep you until then. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Elena. Thank you for your generous commitment of your, your time this morning and, and sharing your your sharing hope with us really in finding a power greater than ourselves. We're we're very appreciative. And now we're going to transition to our question and answer period. So if you have a question for Elena, uh, please press star one. You can give me your first name and last initial and we'll uh, take time to pose questions to Elena. Who who has a question? Hi, I'm Felicia S. from New Jersey. Okay, I got, okay, Felicia, and who else? Star one to unmute. Diane G. from Canada. Debbie Diane. B. from Virginia. Debbie. Okay, let's start with uh, Felicia, followed by Diane, and then Debbie. Felicia, you're up. Press star one again. Hi, I'm Felicia, compulsive recovering overeater from New Jersey, uh, Felicia S. Um, Elena, thank you so much for your time today and your sharing your service. And thank you to all who are doing service at this meeting. Um, my question for you is, what is it that you do today to nurture and grow your relationship with the God of your understanding? Are there specific prayers, rituals, meditations that you use that help you nourish that relationship? Absolutely. I knew somebody was going to ask me that question. <laughs> so <clears throat> I believe that um, my brain overnight is trans is not, um, I mean, it goes back to the way it was. Something happens to my brain. So I need to wake up in the morning and, um, just step into my beautiful higher power energy. Um, and I um, have an 11 step prayer, 11 step meditation. That is a, you know, it's a summary of what's said in the book book that I listen to for the best of my ability. And um, I also listen to a vision for you meeting almost every day. I call my mother. I call my mother. This, that's, you know, I love my mom. She's 88 and she has dementia and, you know, she's pretty stable, but I find my God through connection with my mother as well. And, um, I do, I stay, um, if I have a resentment, I have a 10 step train and I, um, whenever resentment fears arise, I call and I give away my 10 step prayer. Then I put myself available for service because we're supposed to turn our attention and our thoughts to somebody with good health. And then at night, we have an, I have an 11-step train where I am paired up with um, a person every two weeks, and I listen to 11-step, their 10-step, and I, they, I give away my 10-step. 
and then I help other people. <clears throat> and I also, I'm in the mental health profession, and I help others, I help others, I help others, and I recover, recover, recover. Thank you. Would that answer your questions? Yeah, thanks for the question, Felicia. And uh, next up, we have Diane, followed by Debbie. Diane, press star one. Hi there, I'm Diane G, a grateful recovered compulsive leader from Canada. Thank you, Alana and Larry, for your share. And as I'm fairly new to the program, um, I hear people talking about resting on your laurels. And I'm still um, not quite sure what that means. So if you could explain what resting on your laurels means. Thank you. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. So thank you for that question. So it means to me that I get lazy and I start worshiping other people that, I, you know, I have now a plan of eating. I'm food neutral and I fail to enlarge my spiritual life. I fail to work with others. I don't do 10 steps. I don't do 11 steps. I don't reach out. I don't put myself available for service, but I'm just staying and I then shy away from my higher power. Thank you for that question. Yeah, thanks, Diane, for that question. It's a good one. Okay, Debbie V, it's your turn. Good morning. Star one. Debbie, we, we don't hear you, so try to press star one again. Hi, thank you so much. Debbie V from Virginia. Thank you so much, everyone, for making this meeting possible. And thank you, Elena. Thank you so much for your service and sharing your life with us. My question is, um, I so appreciate your evolution towards the recognition of a power greater than self. was just wondering if you're able to share on what did that look like and how did that happen in uh, regard to working the steps? Where were you uh, in, in working the steps when, when you came to know a power greater than self that was within you? And thank you so much. Sure, sure. Well, it's in the 12 steps of <clears throat> the big book. Um, it, in how it works and the, the chapter before, where actually it's not in how it works, it's in, within the chapter after into action, but it was, it's in the first chapters of the big book when we work on step one and two. The following chapters is, you know, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and then working with others chapters is, you know, step 12. But I worked with a sponsor and I already had a, an, um, I always had a God of my understanding in Al-Anon um, that helped me be, say that I'm powerless and have an experience of being powerless over people, places, and things, and especially my alcohol, the alcoholics in my life. And then I came into the program with that experience, that relationship, that conception, conception of God. And then I worked in the big book, The 12 Steps, with my sponsor, exactly the way the big book says I didn't get creative at all because why they're very simple rules they're simple and I remember when I was in step four here's here's how God works um, my mom came to visit and you know until then not even in Elanon had it disclosed to me that I, was, I still had resentments with mother 
And then we got into a conflict while, while she was with me. Another family member was with me. And it triggered all those wounds from the past, all trauma, all what I, the fear of abandonment, the fact that I didn't feel I belonged. And when I, I worked on the fourth step with my sponsor, it was so powerful. I, I was just sobbing throughout telling her my fifth step. And that, that, that was so profound for me. And, um, and then I had to make, you know, I had, cause I was like, well, you were neglectful, you were neglectful. And now you're neglecting me now. Right. But, <clears throat> and as a result, I was, um, reacting to her neglecting, um, in a way that I was just telling her then she neglected me. Right. And then, um, and then I had to make an amends to that. I had to make an amends to that. Um, so, and then I continued to work on step five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. And today I am helping others. And I say them the ten, eleven, twelve steps of recovery. And the God within I found in my Alanon, I found in my healing, um, in psychotherapy. And it, God within has strengthened his connection with me in this program. Thank you for that question, Debbie. Okay, we have more time. Uh, if you'd like to pose a question, you press star one. Have the courage to do it. You're, help. You're, you're helping me. Ken, I hear you. Who else? Wendy B. Was it Lindy? Wendy. I don't know how I made Wendy out of that, but okay, Wendy, thank you. Who else? Judy N. Hi, Judy. Gotcha. Wally M. in Wisconsin. Okay, I heard Wisconsin, and I missed the first part. Wally M. Wally. Okay, Wally. All right, so we have Ken, Wendy, Julie, and Wally, if I got that right. And anybody else that I missed? Okay, that's a good group there. Let's start with Ken. Hey, Ken, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you. And Elena, thank you for your share. Uh, Elena, you, you talked a lot about... Um, Ebby's words to Bill about why don't you choose your own conception of God. I'm aware that there in the book it says, um, right after, you know, choosing my own conception of God is an intellectual exercise. And then Bill says, that statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived. I stood in the sunlight. And so what I'm asking you is where does... What role does mystery play in your understanding of God? Thank you. Good question. I love that question. So mystery to me is what it hasn't been revealed to me so far. My relationship with my amazing higher power is not going to stay the same. It's not supposed to stay the same. Through my relationship with my higher power, I'm going to continue to get to know those layers of my being that I don't know yet. 
I'm going to continue to know. And it motivates me. It really does. I'm curious about how that would look like. And it also motivates me to stay and um, <clears throat> what else I will be revealed to me in my relationship with my higher power? Because you know what? Because if that will be revealed, then that's how I'm going to be with the rest of the people in my life, the way I'm with my higher power. It, I will be with the rest of the people in my life. And mystery is, is just very, very good for me. Um, and, you know, mystery, and I believe the opposite of mystery is miracle, miracle. So today I know the struggles are necessary to develop strength, struggle. There is a gift in, 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 in each one. There is a gift in struggle that I, and, you know, it's mysterious, right? It's mysterious that this gift, I don't know what, what it is. I, I need to find it out. I found out in a gift in COVID. There's telehealth now, and I can help people who don't live next to me. I can help people, you know, and, and there are other gifts in COVID. There is a gift. That was a mystery before, but there is a gift in, um, in like, being, being um, growing up in an alcoholic home. I, I, I kind of understood my father and his, his addiction, and I looked at him. He is not his addiction. He is more than his addiction. And I discovered something through my healing, the mystery of who this man was for me. I love that man. I love that man. So um, I hope that answers your question. Thank you for the question. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. Okay, next up we have Wendy with the question, followed by Judy. Wendy. Good morning. Good morning. This is Wendy B. Recovered in Arizona. And my question is, um, I heard you say when I'm in the way, I'm depriving them of their relationship with God. And uh, like if you're interfering, <laughs> you know, and, and I find myself doing that. And so I'm just wondering if you could address that a little bit more. Thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. All right, so that that's kind of that's kind of an Al-Anon journey, but but it also I find it in you find it in the chapter to wise because it talks about um, <clears throat> what they should be doing in order to support the alcoholic, and then Lois later, uh, the one who founded with the um, wife of Doctor Bob founded Al-Anon, you know, uh, and they have the same 12 steps of recovery as we do. And they talk about it a lot. And what that means to me is that I am going to, um, okay, so that means to me compassion. What compassion is to me today? Compassion is my higher power. And compassion is an understanding of what the other person is going through and going to that pain and understanding their pain and then get out of the way let them be because through their struggles through their struggles just like me they're going to find their strength but without if i'm in the way if i continue to control them because i did i control my you know my 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 husband i control if you were in a relationship with me 
at that time, you better you would needed to do whatever I wanted you to do because otherwise you won't be my friend. Otherwise, I will continue to tell you what you need to do, right? But I stayed out in the way because I have a higher power and I trust that they have their own higher power if it would be revealed to them or not in a way like, it, you know, their higher powers within them, right? We know that today. So I am respecting, by the way, compassion, I, I, I think I didn't say the full definition of compassion to me, is that I understand them and I have a desire to help, all right? So I don't just neglect them. I don't turn my back to them, but I do the best I can to support, to hold space for them, to have their own journey and to grow. And meantime, I need to stay on the shore if they're in the waters because they're, when they're crocodiles, I need to, to send something their way if I can. And so, so you know, I get the help them if I can. And, and you know, but um, I need to stay on the shore and recover, recover, recover. Thanks so much for the question, Wendy. Next up is Judy, followed by Wally. Judy, 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 good morning. Uh, good morning, Elena. First, I'd like to thank you so much for sharing your story and um, your journey. Uh, my question is, deals with, um, I haven't, I've always had an understanding of God. I'm new, fairly new into back into the program. This is my 52nd day of abstinence. My question is, I find myself now working my step 11. I'm doing a lot of writing. Things are coming out. Um, and as they're coming out, I feel that I'm growing inside of me. There, I'm feeling God more inside of me. And it's very subtle. And, um, and this comes with my step 11 journaling, which is, my, I guess, my meditation. And I'm wondering if, if you do that. Do you journal or, or do you feel this subtle growth or this in, in inner feeling of connection? Um, and it, it's not every day, but it seems like it's, it's um, an awareness. And that's my question. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I'm so very happy for you. I hope that, you know, you, um, I hope that you'll stay. That's all I'm going to say. Stay with us. This is, this is where we all should be if we identify with the, compo- the condition of compulsive overeating. But, yeah, I'm not big on journaling. <clears throat> I'm not. Um, and I think the, the, uh, why I'm not being on journaling is because when in my college in, um, uh, years, I was so, I was just, I had to write so much to the point of, I was just tight, uh, I grabbed that pencil, that pen, and I was so tight writing and writing and writing that today I have an inflammation on my right side of my body. And I think it's because of that. Maybe, maybe not. But what I do do I have dialogues with my higher power, the God within. I'm so glad you're 
um, feeling your God in your heart. The God, yes, God is my heart. He's also in and around my, I might find him in different parts of my body at times. And then I have dialogues with him. I even talk to him in my, um, in, in my car as I'm driving to work. Um, and then I listen, you know, and there's, um, and then I hear sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I hear my thoughts. Sometimes I hear my character defects talking, which by the way, for me, my character defects are not bad. All right. And I will always have them. I will always have my character defects. They serve a purpose for me. They serve the purpose in an environment with pervasive alcoholism. They serve a purpose in my, with my addiction. They served before. What am I doing now? I am helping myself with the help of my higher power to transform those character defects. And today they're not coming as intensely and as frequently as they used to, but I'm going to need them, right? I need my fear to motivate me. And I need my fear to grow further in this mysterious relation. Thank you for the word mysterious. In this mysterious relation with my higher power where I can be in awe, in awe. And um, yeah, so I am human. I will never be God. I will never be God. And with that, I'll pass. Okay. Thank you for the question. Yes, thank you, Judy. Okay, Wally, it's your turn. Good morning. This is Wally M. from Wisconsin. I grew up the daughter of a compulsive overeater and an alcoholic father. And that I have a memory of age two sitting at a table swinging my feet and hearing the screaming and yelling over my head. And I think somehow God or showed me that I should be try to be perfect and not create more problems for them. And then Dad died when I was very young, and my mother didn't know how to be there for me, uh, so I became very extremely self-sufficient and I struggle to let God be in my heart. I, I see, or I, I don't know about feel, but I, I know that God is in my head and how do I get God into my heart so I can feel his love and compassion and care for me with that Mm, beautiful question how do you get god in your heart right how do we get god in heart well all right so first i wanted to tell you that for me when i have a thought of perfecting what i need to do is a character defect is a um for me um perfection does not exist for me today um, and if perfection were to exist for me today, I would continue to beat myself up. Perfection says, you are doing this wrong. You are not well. You're sick. 
That's what perfection says to me. So you better do it better. And then this is a definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Because what did I do? I was engaging with the, with the universe, with people from perfectionism, you know, um, I was engaging with them. Um, if, uh, if I don't get the connection from them and the happiness from them, validation from them that I needed, then I was going to do the same thing, but I was, I'm going to need to do it better because certainly I failed at, at what I was doing before. And there is a better way to do it, but, but the same way, the same way of doing it. All right. So the opposite of perfection for me is compassion, is acceptance and celebration of what I do today, one day at a time. The God, I got God in my heart by just taking action. This program is, you know, I quote somebody here, or you all know who it is. <laughs> Um, this program is not for those who need it or want it. It's for those who do it or those who do it. And I need to fake it till I make it, right? I need to get down on my knees and pray. I need to do my meditation in the morning or throughout the day. I need to pause because my brain is sick. But because remember, my brain is, something happens to my brain through the night. By the way, today, I had, a, I had an intense dream of my teeth falling, my teeth falling. What did I dream about, I believe? I dreamed about my vulnerability. I dreamed about, God, take away my vulnerability. Take my teeth away, right? Well, guess what? I don't have that dream anymore. So somehow my higher power has wor is working through the night and my brain. So I get God within, I get a compassion by practicing compassion, by practicing compassion. Let me hear, let me, let me just stay curious about what are you guys saying to me today in, in a vision for you? Mean. What is my, you know, my, my man saying to me today? I mean, you know, what does he do? Why does he do that way? How can I help him? How can I be of service to him? And then let him go. Let it go, right? Because I am not his God. I'm not it. And you know what? It was a, such a damn hard work to be other people's God. Such a damn hard work. I was draining. I lost myself in it. I really did. I had no idea who I was. I knew who they were. But I didn't know who I was. And I knew who they were. They were imperfect. And I wanted them to be perfect. And so the prayer that comes to me is, God, remove my whatever it is that I'm doing and it's hard. And replace it with perhaps the opposite. So I would suggest that you say the prayer, God, remove my perfections and replace it, whatever you think is good for me. How do, you want, how do you want me to be the step seven prayer? And then stay quiet and see what's coming to you. 
see what God removed my difficulties of um, getting you in my heart and show me how you want me to do, what you want me to do to get you, God. And then my God is very patient with myself. And in conscious content, uh, God is patient with myself. I, I can see myself through God's eyes. And God's eyes say, you know what, Elena, you, you're doing the best you can. Be good to yourself. Honor yourself. Stay in the day. If you can't stay in the day and your mind wanders, just, just, you know, watch your walls. What, what you, watch this beautiful home you live in and be thankful. Say thanks. And I, and, and I want to say that one of the most powerful prayer is if the only prayer will be thanks, thank you, that would be enough. That's enough. It doesn't have to take that much work, that much work. Yeah, so I hope that answered your question. Yeah, thank you, Wally. And that's going to be our last question for the day. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to close. And Elena, thank you so much. It's such a generous use of your time, so charitable and very informative. And uh, we're, we're very appreciative. You did a wonderful job. Um, here's, the, here's the good news. The good news is when we're done, uh, we, after we stop the recording, I'm going to give you we're going to ask Elena to be gracious enough to give her contact number. We'll give you that number if you have questions still for Elena. We'll give you a GPS coordinates. You know, we'll track her down. We'll find her somehow, right? Uh, but in any case, we are going to close with a reading from page 164. It happens to be in a chapter uh, called The Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. <laughs>